Good morning. It is nice to see. I guess I'm not really seeing each of you. It's nice to know that everyone who is tuning in virtually is virtually tuning in. Let's put it that way. And it's nice to see those who are in our worship team who are with us this morning. We take time in our worship service each Sunday to remember the importance of making our gifts to God through Faith Community Church. We thank you for your faithful contributions, and I'd like to invite you, if you would like to give this morning, to use our online option. You can either text a dollar amount to our church using our text-to-give number, which is 508-744-3420. Again, 508 508- 744-3420, or you can go to our website, which is faithcommunityma.com, and at faithcommunityma.com, there is a Donate Now button, and we invite you to contribute that way. As we enter into the fall, this is a very important time for us to start relooking at our finances. We have had a good year so far, and thank you for your faithfulness However, as we enter into the fall program year, many expenses increase, especially as we get later into winter months and all. And so please continue with your faithfulness if you are giving. And if you have not made a contribution, we invite you to contribute to your church. And it's a way in which we give back to God through our tithes and our offerings for God's blessing in our lives. We also take a moment and we lift up the prayer concerns of our church. If you are on our Facebook Live page, we invite you to type in names. Otherwise, if you would just hold names in your, in your heart as we go to prayer, I invite you to be in a time of prayer. Let us bow our heads together. Our gracious and loving Heavenly Father, we thank you for your love and your goodness that is all around us. And we thank you for the opportunity to lift to you our prayers and our concerns this morning. We pray for those who have health concerns. We pray for healing and comfort. We pray for those who are struggling in any manner that they are for your faithfulness to be there with them and for them to know of your love and your care and your guidance. We thank you for an opportunity to be in worship and to know that you are present with us, not only when we gather to worship, not only when we sing our songs of praises, but every single moment of our life that you are there, you are watching over us, you are guiding us. We thank you for our worship team who led us in worship this morning and now for the opportunity to open your word. We pray for our world, especially with the ongoing pandemic. We pray for a vaccine. We pray for a cure. And we pray for health to be restored, not only to our communities, and to our nation, but to our world. We thank you for all the ways in which we're working during this time to keep people safe and healthy. And we pray for your peace to abide in our hearts beyond anything that we can imagine. And all of these are prayers, and many others, we hold them and lift them before you in the name of Jesus, remembering that our Savior taught us in our prayers to say, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.
If you have your Bibles with you as you are watching at home, we invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. It's Paul's letter to the Philippians. We also, following this morning's message, will be observing communion. So if you have elements that you could have prepared, we do that on the first Sunday of each month. We will invite you as we take the bread and as we take the juice to, at the end of our message, to remember um, Christ's offering to us not only uh, his word that sanctifies us and helps us to grow as Christians, but also an opportunity to receive from his table. But now, this morning, we enter into a new sermon series. It is hard to believe that the summer is pretty much over. We are now in the months of September. I know families and kids are all getting ready to go back to school, and it's also an opportunity for us to look at something new in our church. And what we're going to be doing for the next two months is we are going to be looking at the book of Philippians, and I'm going to do this two-month study, and I invite you to read Philippians at home. It's a short letter. Let's remember that. It's a letter. It's a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church in the town called Philippi, and it doesn't take that long to read, and I invite you to read it a number of times. Just read it, and then maybe the next day read it again, and pause as you're reading it each time, and think about what it must have been like to have received this letter, and and what Paul is trying to communicate, not only to them, but also to us. What we're going to look at as we look at the book of Philippians, or at this letter, is a theme of anxiety, of learning to deal with those emotions in our life that can really tear us down. And anxiety is a, a, a condition for some people, and for others it's a fleeting state that comes and goes. But the Apostle Paul, when he wrote this letter to the church in Philippi, he was in prison, and he's writing this letter, and he's talking, and I hope you hear as we read the text, about finding joy and finding peace. And those are the very opposite of being anxious. They're having our life in a place in which we're okay, and we know that God's in control. Listen to how Paul begins his letter. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints at Philippi, with the overseers and the deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Now I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for all of you making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. It's good for me to feel this way about all of you because I hold you in my heart, for you're all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in my defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and discernment, and that you may approve what is excellent so as to be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The Apostle Paul writes this letter in prison. And we need to 
think about that because he didn't do anything wrong. It's not that he was in prison because he'd violated some law of, of stealing or, or had inflicted harm on someone else, but rather it was a cultural thing because he was part of this new group of people, these Christians, who were spreading the message of Christ's love, and it became threatening to the authorities, and so they sought for reasons to arrest him, and by the time he writes this letter, he has been arrested, and he's in a jail, and he has soldiers who are walking o- watching over him, and he wants the church in Philippi to know that he's okay, but also that they can be okay. Hear that loud and clear. He's okay no matter what his circumstances are, and they can be okay. And so he gives us themes like being joyful. Or in verse 2 where he says, grace to you and peace from God. He's wishing for them what he's experienced himself, this peace. This sense of God's presence in every situation. And that's why for the next two months we're calling our sermon series Anxious No More. Because we're seeing how this joy and this grace that the Apostle Paul says we all have access to is a very thing that will keep us from being overcome with anxiety in our lives. Yes, we can learn a lot of things from the Apostle Paul and how he wrote his letter and the words he has to say. And what I'm using for an illustration this morning, it's also sort of a yummy treat for you. If you get nothing out of it, you will at least get this, is strawberry rhubarb jam. And I got thinking about one of my very favorite things to put on toast in the morning, which is strawberry rhubarb jam. And as I talk through this text this morning, I also want us to think about how it can become sort of an illustration of all that Paul is talking about at the beginning of his letter. And we'll get into that more as we move along. But it begins if we wish to have the kind of peace in our life that Paul describes. And if we want to be able to overcome or, or avoid an anxiety that can be crippling in our life, the first thing that Paul helps us understand is that we need to each one of us be able to have Christian friends. Friends that we can count on, friends that we can reach out to, friends that we can talk to, friends that we can be honest with, friends that we can be vulnerable with, friends who can pray with us, and friends who can celebrate with us. That's why Paul begins his letter, not just Paul to the church at Philippi, but Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus. You see, the apostle Paul was in prison, But his friend Timothy kept coming and visiting him, and he was with him, and he was a constant encouragement to him, so much so that Timothy was there as he penned the letter, and we'll even see how he helped in the writing of the letter. It's essential for you and me in our Christian faith to know who we can count on. Who are the people in your life that is that friend that you can talk to when things aren't going well, Or when things are going well, who's the person that you can share your joys with and they can, as a Christian, celebrate before God with you? That again got me thinking of my strawberry rhubarb jam. Let's think of them as sort of friends. Two things that maybe normally wouldn't go together, but we put them together for the purpose of creating something new. And that's ultimately what God's doing in our Christian friendship. God wants you and me to have friends who are people like 
Paul to Timothy or Timothy to Paul so that we can become the people that God wants us to be. In fact, it's not about being similar and it's not about finding a friend or someone or a buddy in your life who has all the interests that you have. That's again why I thought of strawberry rhubarb jam. I don't know about you, but strawberries and rhubarb are not two things that I normally would have thought went together. They're about as different as can be. Uh, rhubarb, which is a big, tall stalk with a leaf on the end of it, and a very sour-tasting plant, the rhubarb, and the strawberry, a small berry that's very luscious to eat and much more sweet to the taste. Yes, two things that don't normally go together, yet when they sort of become friends, they make this delicious treat that we put on our toast in the morning, or at least I like to do it. And that's really what Paul and Timothy were. They were not two people who were similar to each other. These are not two guys who came from the same background and grew up in the same neighborhood and were childhood friends. Yesterday, Regina and I were were driving down one of the roads in Plymouth, and we saw these two guys that were dressed alike, and they were in their mid-60s, and they were riding bikes, and they were having sort of a fun time, you know, moving their bikes around and joking with each other. And Regina looked at me and said, what do you think they are? And I said, they look like they're probably childhood friends who are now in their 60s and have just always been buddies together. That's just how they were coming across. Now, I don't know. I didn't stop to ask them. But there are those kinds of friends. That's not what we're necessarily talking about here. We're talking about Christian friends that don't have to have anything in common. And that's how Paul and Timothy were. Think about the background of each of these people. Paul was an Orthodox Jew, as Jewish as Jewish could be, from the tribe of Benjamin. He said, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, studied under Gamaliel. Timothy, on the other hand, was Greek. He didn't even come from a Jewish background. In fact, he came from a mixed religious background where his father was a pagan. At the same time, the Apostle Paul is old. Timothy's young. So when Paul writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy, he says, don't look any, let anybody look down on how young you are, on your youthfulness. Again, an older guy and a younger man who have become these really good close buddies and friends. And then, of course, we also know a lot of other things about him, but one is that Paul was nearly blind by the time he writes this letter. That's why Timothy is there and helps him. Timothy, on the other hand, becomes a scribe for him. So it's not that they had interests together. They had a common faith in Jesus Christ and Lord and Savior together. That's what I'm saying we need in our lives if we're going to face the tough things of life and get through them. For both Paul and Timothy were, as Paul says, doulos, servants of Christ. That's what they had in common, and that's what we need in our life. Do you not only have a faith in Christ, do you have that Christian friend that you can count on, that you can talk to, that you can confide in, that will pray for you and that will care about you? For peace comes with a friend mutually committed to Christ so that we have the encouragement and the strength to get through every situation. That's why Jesus said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst. You see, when we get together or talk with our Christian friend, or Christian friends who understand us and care about us and share the same faith, Christ always shows up in those conversations. And that's why 
we find that peace. And that's why we start finding that joy. And that's the people who can help us turn the conversations away from something that's negative and pulls us down into something positive that God wants in our life. I was present for the time when Gordon McDonald, the pastor who really was a founding pastor up at Grace Chapel in Lexington, was restored to ministry. I preached this message in the first service, our outdoor lawn service, and there was a person who was also present at that same service. We talked about where we sat during that service. It was on a Sunday evening. You see, Gordon McDonald was a giant of a Christian leader, and he had built Grace Chapel to the largest church here in New England. He was the head at one time of World Vision. I believe he also had a prominent position with Inner Varsity. And his, his spiritual life and his personal life completely fell apart. And he was out of the ministry. And he had all kinds of problems that had happened in his life. And now, after a period of time of working with some Christian leaders and some pastors, he that evening was restored to ministry. He was deemed by those who had worked with him that this was an opportunity for him to come back and, and to be reinstated into ministry, not as a pastor of that church, but in other ministries that, that he had from that point on in his life. Following that experience of his life falling apart and making decisions that he really never should have made and getting involved with stuff that he shouldn't, he wrote a book. And in the book, he talked about the importance of Christian friends. And I always remember one of the characterizations that he gave. He said, you know, in all of our lives, we really have three kinds of people. We have those people who drain us, those people who when we're around, it just feels like we're just always giving to them. And if that's all we have around us, pretty soon we're pretty empty. We have other people who are neutral in our life, but then we have those people who really build us up and can be encouragers in our life. And that's what Paul and Timothy were with each other. And that's what we need in our spiritual life. We need those people that we can pour our lives into, and they can pour their lives into us for the purpose of helping us be stronger during those tough times, during those moments when we're going through something difficult and the anxious thoughts and anxious feelings start arising, that we can turn and we can go to that person and share with them honestly and vulnerably, and they can help us get through that's what I kind of think about my strawberry and rhubarb. They're sort of those two friends with each other, to encourage each other, to help each other. In my ministry over the years, I have had those experiences in very powerful ways. I always go back to the very first church I served when I was in Lowell at the Centralville United Methodist Church, a guy by the name of Bob, who just became that Christian friend in my life. I could share my concerns. He could always keep me encouraged. He would always help redirect my thoughts. Even to today, I continue to have those Bobisms that I share with people, things I learned from him. Even after I left Lowell and I moved to Rhode Island, he and I continued for a time to meet together. And recently, my son David and I were able to be up in New Hampshire after his wife, Giselle, had passed away as we were there for the graveside service. And in Anytime I see him, it's just a source of encouragement just to see him and to see his encouragement and his smile and his friendship. And I've had many other friends like that over the years. I have had my friend Greg, and he and I have been friends now for 30 years, a 
pastor who he was a pastor in the next community over when I was in Rhode Island in my last church I had a friend Russ again the same kind of thing I could go to his home if I was having a bad day or he and I would just go get a cup of coffee and spend time together I certainly have those friends here at Faith Community Church also and do you have them that's the question not about Pastor Stan it's about you who do you have in your life that you can seek out that is your Christian friend your Christian buddy your strawberry, your rhubarb, your Paul, your Timothy. Because as we enter this study of the book of Philippians, don't miss how it begins. It doesn't begin with Paul isolated and angry and frustrated in a cell. It's not a guy who's sitting there saying, woe is me, how did I get in this bad situation? It's a man who is able to be positive. He's able to be encouraged. He's able to pour his life into other people, but he makes it clear from the beginning that one of the reasons he can do that is because he's got this faithful friend, Timothy, who is there for him, and he's there for Timothy. The next thing we see, and if we're going to have peace in our lives, as opposed to being controlled by anxiety and anxious thoughts and fears and frustrations, which so many people seem to be having today, the second thing we need is a good local church. And it's right in our text. The Apostle Paul doesn't just say, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to everyone, but rather, he says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and the deacons. Paul is clear that he's writing to a local church, and that's one of the wonderful things you see throughout the New Testament. If you read the different letters, you see they're always written to a local church. The church at Corinth, the church at Rome, the church at Colossae, the church at Philippi. The church at Ephesus, because Paul knows the value and the importance of being part of a local congregation. There's a number of things he says you should be looking for if you're looking for a church. There's things that are right in the text. He says to the saints in the church. The word saints is the word holy. It comes from the Greek word hagios, which means holy or set apart. The idea is Paul knows in this church that there are believers. This isn't just a social gathering of people who like each other. This is a group of people who have been saved by Jesus Christ, who have been cleansed by the blood of the Lamb, who have faith in Christ. Their sins have been forgiven. They know their position before God, and therefore, the Scripture says, they are deemed as holy. Not that they're better than someone else. To be holy does not mean I'm holier than you. It means that Christ has forgiven me, and my holiness doesn't come from myself, but it comes from Christ, whose grace and forgiveness is more than sufficient. The idea of something being holy or being set aside is found throughout the Scripture. That's why God is not just seen as holy, but God is seen as holy, 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 the most holy, the most set aside, the most separate. But if you're looking for a church and you're wanting to be involved with a congregation, are there people who genuinely have a fervent faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and make that the center of who they are? Not just the ministry, but who the individuals are in the church. That's why the very word for church is ekklesia. It's a compound word, ek meaning out of, and kaleo meaning called, that a holy group of people are not better than others, but we're called out of the world 
to our faith in Christ, and therefore we gather together. That's why we come together on a Sunday morning, whether we do it virtually or in person. We gather together. We're called out of the world and out of our everyday workings and all of the things that we're doing to come together as people who are set apart, not because we are better than someone else, that is not what the word holy means, but rather because Christ makes you holy and sets you apart. That we're set apart because of the work that God is doing in our lives. So yes, a local church should have people who are holy, who are saints. The second thing is it needs a location to the Apostle Paul, he was writing here to the church in Philippi. That was a particular sea town. There are other locations for churches. Our church, location-wise, this morning is here in Plymouth. We have a campus in Duxbury-Pembroke, on the Duxbury-Pembroke line, and we are starting to realize that a location of a church can be an online presence as we gather together online, which allows us to be in a unique way, this local gathering that happens in this virtual community, but we can still pray for each other and communicate with each other and talk to each other and send emails and texts and phone calls to each other, and we can even be involved with Bible studies together. Why, we have Bible studies in our church that we do on Zoom that have people as far away as Texas and Florida who participate and are part and are a valuable part of our gathering together. So do you want to have peace in your life? Paul says, you need to have a good church. You need to have a church that has Christians who trust in Christ, therefore they're holy. They need to be a real thing, a real place, a, a real gathering, whether it's in person or in a virtual way, but then also it also needs to be organized. And that's why Paul says that this church has overseers and deacons Elders and deacons. The elders are the spiritual leaders of the church. That's why at Faith Community Church, we're organized and governed with an elder board, a group of people who pray for this church, who are here to teach and to lead this congregation. And deacons, we're actually looking at how to start a deacon board in our church, but the deacons are all of those who work in the other areas, the people who are set aside for the purpose of serving, serving the poor, serving the community, serving within the church. Organization of a church doesn't sound all that spiritual to people, but it's right here in the text for Paul to help us understand how essential it is, because again, if you want peace in your life, if you want to be able to know that God's going to work in every situation, it's important to know that this church, the thing that God brings together, is organized so it's going to be there for you in the future and going to be there for one another and be there for the community. Years ago, I attended a church that I really liked in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And I thought it was an awesome church. I think we used to have about 100, 150 people who would gather. And one Sunday, the pastor said, um, our Morning gathering is not going to be able to happen anymore. We're going to have to move it to 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And I didn't think much about it. The next week, I was there at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. There weren't quite as many people. And a few weeks later, he said, we've actually lost our building. This isn't really our building. It's owned by somebody else. They're now going to be using it. But don't worry, we're meeting at, and he gave a location of another place, and we're going to be meeting at about 7 o'clock in the evening. And so 7 o'clock in the evening, the following week, I showed up. There were less people. A few weeks later, there was no church. 
And I learned at that moment how important organization is. It's stuff we don't think about, but it's absolutely essential. If you're going to be committed to a body of Christ, make sure that it's biblically organized because that's part of who we are. And trust me, it helps us to know that our congregation, our church is going to be there for us. We're not just going to show up and have it disappear or have it not really have ever been organized. And so Paul wants us to know that if we're going to have peace, if we're going to discover what he discovered during the most difficult times in his life, yes, we need a Christian friend or Christian friends, but yes, we also need something that gives us that stability, and that becomes our local church. And make sure that you have a church that you can say, this is my church, where people know me and I know them, the pastor knows who I am, or the pastors know who I am and I know them. It's always my surefire way of asking when somebody will say to me, oh, I attend such and such a church. I usually say to them, what's the name of the pastor? You'd be surprised how many people will then mumble and say, well, well, I really haven't been there for you know, 10 or 15 years or five years or, oh, they got a new pastor. You see, if we are committed to a church, we're committed to a church. And if we're committed to a church, folks, we're going to find the peace from being involved with that church. That gets me back to my strawberry rhubarb jam. Do you know what makes it strawberry rhubarb jam? Well, one of the things is a jar that holds it in. Otherwise, I couldn't have it, and I couldn't be holding it here, and I couldn't give it out as a gift or take it to my home and put it on the table and use it in the morning. The jar that holds it in is kind of like our church. Never take your church for granted. It's there to honor and worship God. You're called to be part of it, to be faithful part of it, but it's also there to be organized to give stability and strength to the members so that we have a organized body of Christ that's organized biblically, that has people who have faith in Christ, who are saints, who can pray for you, who can pray for me, and can look to you and me for also their encouragement. No wonder Paul was able to get through a tough time. He knew an entire church was praying for him. And he knew they were so organized that when they got the letter, they would all be getting the letter, they would share it in worship, and they would write letters back to him because that's what it means to be a church. But then there's one last thing that is so essential. If we're going to have peace in our life and we're going to discover what Paul wants us to have, which is really what God wants us to have, we need to have spiritual growth. It's not just about Christian friends and being involved with the church because you know what happens then? We can start sort of checking off the box and not really looking at what God's doing with us personally. And that's the mistake a lot of people make. They think that peace in our lives or, or dealing with the anxiety that comes through, through living and the experiences of our life is all about checking certain things off in a box. And Paul makes it clear that it's not that at all. That spiritual growth is really how we become the people that God wants us to be. We have a churchy word for that. We call it sanctification. It's the power of the Holy Spirit to change you and to change me. Paul puts it this way in verse 6. He says, I'm sure of one thing, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to the completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Do you hear what he said? Not only is he a fellow believer in Christ, not only does the Apostle Paul know that 
he's got a Christian friend, and there's a church there that he loves, and these people are going to gather for worship, and they're going to keep him encouraged, and he can go there for worship. But he's also committed for himself and for them to spiritual growth, to becoming more Christ-like, to being changed into the people that God wants us to be changed into. Why do we get so frustrated and upset about life? Because we start thinking we have to control things and we have to be in charge of everything. And Paul wants us to understand that, no, we need to let God be in charge of things and have God change us from the inside out. Rather than thinking and worrying about the future and getting our thoughts about what's going to happen next or what's going to happen if this happens next, we're able to give all of that up because we trust in the Holy Spirit. And we start getting changed. That's why Paul thanked God every single time he remembered this church because he knew that God was working in their life. It wasn't he who changed them. It wasn't that Paul gave them three easy formulas to be a better person. That's self-help. But rather, they were open to the Holy Spirit changing and transforming them. That's the same thing that's offered for us today. It gets me one last time back to my jam I call that the gooey stuff that makes the jam the jam. If all I have is strawberry and a rhubarb and I eat the two of them, I just get a sour and a sweet-tasting thing together. But what turns it into jam? It's all that pectin and, and juice and sugar and all that other stuff that we put together that changes it and transforms it into the jam. And that's what we're invited to do is to allow the Holy Spirit to change us, to transform us. And when we do it, we quit feeling so upset about things because now we know God's in control. It's a completely different way of living our lives. We often ask the question, do you know you have faith in Christ? Let's ask another question. Have you given your life not only to Christ, but to the Holy Spirit's guidance? Have you taken time in your life to say, Holy Spirit, guide me in every part of my life? Do you constantly turn the concerns you have over to the Spirit? Do you ask for the Holy Spirit to be present in your decisions and, and in the way in which you live your life? It's very different than thinking I have to be the great I am and tell everybody else what to do. That gets me nothing more than filled with frustration. But when you drive down the road and somebody cuts you off, instead of getting all upset with them and frustrated, do you say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to teach me today? What, what are you trying to bring into my life? The process of sanctification is stop being in control and let the Holy Spirit guide and there's no formula for it. There's not like three or five easy steps. It's a continual trusting in God and saying, Holy Spirit, guide me. Holy Spirit, what do you have for me today? It's seeing the things as not coincidences in our life, but as actual things that God is allowing or bringing into our life for the purpose of making us better people. I joke that this last year we bought a new car, and I always say my car beeps at me. Now, I don't know if you have one of the new cars, but a lot of the new cars beep. Which means every time I do something wrong, like if I get too close to, to the white line, it beeps. 
Or if I come up too quickly on a car that's in front of me, my car starts beeping. Or if I start backing up and there's an object close by, it starts beeping at me. Regina teases me and says, I can't even drive from our house over to Dave and Laura's, which is about 15 minutes away, without the car beeping at me a few times. So I call it my old man car because it tells me all the things I do wrong. But you know what's fascinating about a car beeping at me? It doesn't change me. It doesn't make any difference. I can still keep having it beep me, and I can have it beep, and I can keep doing the same thing. And that's what I think happens sometimes in our spiritual life. We hear the sermon, we read the scripture, we hear the message, we know that there's changes that need to take place in our life, and it's like the beeping is going off, but we don't do anything different. We're invited this morning to do something different, to live different, to turn our will over to God and to actively ask the Holy Spirit, be present in my life and guide me and direct me and change me and transform me and change my thinking and help me see the world differently and help me become the person you want me to be. We will never be perfect. The Apostle Paul wasn't perfect. Timothy wasn't perfect. And the church at Philippi wasn't perfect. But Paul, by allowing the Holy Spirit to be in control and by finding the fact that he was encouraged when he saw other people allowing the Holy Spirit to control their lives, was able to be okay with anything that came into his life because he knew that God was sitting on the throne. And that's what we're invited to do, is put God on the throne of our life. And that's why as we conclude our message... Today, we conclude it with taking of the sacrament. Because the bread and the juice are a way of reminding ourselves that we are part of God's family and we eat at his table. For the very night in which Jesus gave himself up for us, the Bible tells us that he took bread. And the Bible says that he broke the bread and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. For this is my body, which is broken for you. And then the scripture tells us that when the meal was over, he took a cup. And he shared it with his friends, and he said, this cup represents his blood that was shed for you and for me. And whenever we eat this bread and take this cup, we're reminded of Christ's love for us and his sacrifice until he comes again. I invite us this morning not simply to receive these elements, but to turn our will over to the one who wants to guide our lives. For people go through this world and they have all kinds of fears and anxiety and pains and struggles. And Paul makes it very clear as he starts his letter to the Philippians. The joy is offered to us and peace is offered to us. But not if we just isolate ourselves and think we can do it all on our own. We need the Paul and Timothys in our life. We need the people that we can count on, that we can talk to, that we can meet with, that we can pray with, who have our back. And we need a church, and we need to be committed to that church, and we need to know that that church loves us and is praying for us and is there for us also. But then it's not just about friendship and being part of a gathering of Christians. The Holy Spirit needs to be present and active in our lives. And that requires not us to work, but for us to quit working and to surrender. And so this morning, I invite you to surrender. To surrender to God's Spirit 
to guide and direct you and take you wherever he wants you to go because it could be completely different than the things that you are so concerned with. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, open our hearts to your Spirit's leading. Help us to know that you wish to be in control of every part of our lives. Take away our fears and take away our anxieties. Replace it with your love, your peace, and your grace. And help us to know that we don't have to worry about what if this happens or what about that. That if we truly hand stuff to you, we can leave it with you. And in our own life, the things that are happening. Help us to quit blaming others or criticizing those around us or being frustrated with what others are doing. And let us open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and pray constantly, Holy Spirit, change me. Make me more patient. Make me more godly. Help me see what you're doing in my life. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.